We've got some fresh new young talent doing some things that I know you haven't heard before. One, two, three, listen. You gotta have a like the why, and we know our why. So I think you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. Millions and millions of people have done this already. You can get help, you can get a roadmap, you can save a lot of time, money, and frustration. Welcome to the Value Add Podcast with K&K. Hey everybody. Value Add with K&K, Crystal Kenny here. Just want to say thank you so much for the support, for listening, um, the comments, everything. Keep it up. We'll keep going as long as we can. And if you like what you're listening to, like what you're watching, uh, tell your friends about it, leave us a review, maybe even give us five stars. We love those. That's how we can grow and continue to bring you guys value and spread the word. Thanks, guys. Welcome back, everybody. Look at my voice, it's back. To another episode of Value Add with K&K. Today, we are going to talk about listening, how to screw up a deal. And everybody's like, what do you mean? Basically, we do financing. And we're gonna talk about how not to screw up your deal and things to avoid and things not to do and things that can happen. So we're gonna jump into it. And we have Crystal here, as usual. And we have Mitch Pringer with Pacific Shore Capital, too. Hey, everybody. So we're going to jump into, we're going to first talk about residential, some bullet points, then we're going to talk about commercial, and then I think we can just kind of give, go around and give our two cents of maybe some things that have recently happened or happening or we're seeing in the market, too, about maybe lenders and banks and things that might be changing right now that are kind of causing deal problems and um, why it's, I think, even more important to have a mortgage broker or lender right now because if the markets start changing and banks start tightening up, you need to have more options. Yes, and before we jump into that, if you guys haven't been watching previous episodes or you haven't had the pleasure of working with Mitch and I on any deals, um, Mitch basically is like my backbone. So um, basically, I take in most of the deals. No, he's more like your right arm. Okay, he's like my right arm, however you want to put it. But basically, <laughs> Mitch is really important, okay? That's just what I'm trying to get at. So um, basically, what happens is I bring in the deals um, and work with the client and work with our lenders and get the loan placed, size the deals. Um, sometimes Mitch works with me on that as well. So if we're really busy, um, he'll work with me on that. But basically, after that point, once you sign your LOI and it goes in process, you pretty much are working with Mitch um, for most of the time after that. Of course, I don't disappear or go away or anything, but for the most part, you're just talking to him. He works with processing and underwriting um, and escrow and title to get you to closing. So, yeah, I'd say he's a pretty important guy. Yeah. You and deal with the uh, problem solving and uh, yes. the fun part of it. Yeah. And if Mitch tells you to do something, you can fight it and argue it. But I tell you, but at the end of the day, you are going to do it because he knows what it takes to get loans done. And he's dealing with underwriting and banks. And is uh, I will make this statement. As much as people think in our industry that we really want all this paperwork, we really want all this documentation, we really want all this stuff we ask you for, we don't want it. Underwriters really don't want it. But we have to have it because by law and with guidelines and with the government and everybody involved and being able to audit files and stuff, it is required. So unfortunately, when you think that this is unbelievable, we need all this stuff, it is not unbelievable. What was unbelievable is, let's go backwards, we gave a bunch of real shitty loans to a bunch of real shitty borrowers in 2003, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and that caused a financial collapse globally. 
And since that, we have learned the lesson of probably things not to do. And unfortunately, the the pendulum swung a little bit too far and it's come back. But now we're entering into a market where, you know, it's been good for a long time. And banks, yes, um, both sides, residential, commercial and lenders are starting to get nervous. They're starting to um, cut back on LTVs or strengthen, you know, tighten guidelines and things like that. So at the end of the day, this is what we're faced with. And we just basically give you this information so you know what to expect and how to get loans done. Great. So now should we start on what actually kills deals? And why I said that is because I always have to keep telling people that. So I know. Yeah. It's like the Kenny spiel. It, no, it's not my <laughs> spiel. Mitch would agree with that, too. It's the spiel. It's the Kenny monologue. Yeah, the, the regulations have definitely gotten tighter recently. And, um, you know, banks are looking for more qualified loans, um, less exceptions. But... There are ways to get things done, and you know our job is to make it as easy as possible for you, as little paperwork as possible. Uh, so when we do ask for something, it's because it's necessary. Um, so that's you just got to understand it. It's it's a loan process. It's never going to be fun, but we try to make it as easy as possible. And honestly, the paperwork for multifamily or commercial versus residential is so minor. Um, like if you've done a loan on a residential property, whether it's your home or an investment property, a one to four you already understand the pain that you had to go through to get that loan and then you come to us and it's more like a breath of fresh air there's some more unknowns there like for example you don't get guaranteed your loan amount per se and you've got a rate lock and there's a a bunch of other things that we've talked about in other episodes but um from a paperwork standpoint what we require is far less i would say than any residential loan you'll ever do for the most part yeah. yeah so i've got a couple notes here just to remind myself of Things that you do not want to do when you're in the middle of a residential loan. And this is the funny part because I, I listen to Kenny too, working with his clients, um, and he'll tell them not to go and do things. And then all of a sudden they come back and they go like, ah, well, we went and looked at cars over the weekend and, you know, I just couldn't couldn't uh, walk away from that deal. It was just such a good deal. And so we bought a car, Kenny. I have a new $800 a month payment and it's like, didn't we just have this conversation? Yeah, but the deal was really good and we just couldn't. And it's like now your lender, like just helping you, like helping a client to understand they see that a freaking place ran your credit and they're like, what's this? No, they go, do you have any new debt? Yeah. I mean, we yeah. got to answer the question. Sometimes the new debt just shows up at the end. So what Crystal's saying is when we get, if I pull your credit up front, right before we fund, they do a soft pull, which basically they just check your credit to see if you went and bought a car or, hey, Living Space is having a great deal. I'm going to purchase this house. And we just purchased $5,000 of furniture. What's the problem? It's, it's, it's a zero payment for two years. We don't use zero payments, folks. We go, what's the payment going to be in two years? And that's what we use. We always have to hit you with some payments. So, well, because let's say you're getting a 30 year fixed or a 10 year fixed or a seven year fixed. That means that two years down the road into your 30 year fixed mortgage, you're going to have to pay that, that in. $500, $400, whatever. We have to add it in. So, I'm going to jump into a couple of things here. Go quick. Um, big thing is when you are in the middle, of a transaction or you know you're going to buy a home please do not change jobs 
as you can see. Or talk to your loan officer exactly. about the plans it's, you can start I'm not it. saying don't, but these are things to try to avoid. And some people actually are going to switch jobs. They know they're going to refire purchase, and they actually do hold off. And they'll even tell some of the new employer, like, hey, I'm doing this, and I don't want to make more work. Because if there's a delay, let's say you switch jobs, and it's a different career, and you're like, oh, well, I'm taking two months off. We would have to wait sometimes for that new job to start in a 30-day pay stub and a letter from there. So then you just kind of shot yourself. So let's just say for takes, don't change jobs. The other thing is do not deposit cash in your bank account. Why if, not? Here's the deal. If you sell a car to Mitch and he pays you $5,000 cash and you did it correctly and you have all the proper documentation get a, a bill of sale um you know copy of the you title transfer you you have to source but if deposits. mitch went to your bachelor party and owes you five grand because he racked up a big bill at some club or lost it all at the blackjack table and says here's five thousand cash put in your bank account um that's not really traceable and that's going to be it just causes problems and underwriters hate cash in there so if you're gonna well, do it, it all, you try. does it all come back to this money laundering thing too is that that's, some of the no the, we, the we have we, we have to have an explanation for yeah, it. yeah so that's the i mean we'll just tell we can't people use it understand why it's not good to deposit cash to lenders who want to give you loans like they don't want to like give loans to money launderers so if you can't really source it and let's say you think it's no big deal and it probably isn't a big deal to a lender if you can't source it or um show anything any proof to back it up then it's already fishy. So, yeah. and the thing is, a lot of people will dump that cash in and be like, "Oh, here's five grand. I'm going to use towards the purchase that Mitch paid me back." We can't use that money. We can't use it for reserves. We cannot use it. And if you can't source it, it doesn't count. It, exactly. Yeah. Um, the other thing is we just talked about is do not make any large purchases. Um, cars. Uh, let's see what I've seen. Cars, furniture. Oh, I couldn't get engaged to my wife. Yeah, you can, but I went and financed a ring at Kay's drawer. Okay, well that requirement that requires financing and a payment. So remember, guys, if you buy anything, like Mitch just said, they are going to hit you with the payment. We had a client too, just as an example, that was like really tight on his his kind of global cash flow, even on multifamily, which isn't something we normally worry about that stuff with as much. But he went out and bought a boat like during the transaction and that boat purchase was like put him over the edge and we couldn't get him alone um, because he had to buy his fancy boat. So these are the kinds of things that happen when people go like, what? I, I had the cash in the bank and I can afford it and all these things. If you pay cash, it's different. We're, yeah. we're running an analysis up front based on what you qualify for, even on the residential side for Kenny. He's running an analysis to see what your, what your debt to income debt to income is. And if we need reserves, too. And we, have, we use debt coverage, um, a global debt coverage ratio. So that includes all of your personal bills. So you want to stay as close to that same status that you were in the beginning that we got you approved for until the end of the transaction. And don't take any chances. Like I will say clients go like, well, I got my loan approval. So I went and, you know, got this. No, we're not closed, recorded, funded. The cash is not in your bank. Like you don't have the loan yet. Don't do anything until that happens, until you're funded, recorded, done. Yeah. And and along those lines, um, even minor purchases, you know, open a Kohl's card to get 25% off. That's that's a pull on your credit. And if your borderline uh, credit score of, you know, pricing at 720, sure. 740 credit score, and you drop two points, that changes your rate, that changes your qualifying. 
it's not a mortgage. It's it's as little it's as little as you know even a soft you know a credit pool for a credit card can can affect that. that. So just this was years be ago, mindful of it. But remember, we had a client who liked a good bargain, and so she what she would do is when she went shopping at Macy's or Kohl's or these places, she would open the credit card to get the discount, the fifteen percent off or the ten percent off or whatever, and then she would close the card after that. But she ended up getting inquiries, ended up dinging her score, it brought her score down, and we had a challenge. We ended up getting it closed, but you just don't want to cause those kinds of challenges for your loan. It causes stress for everybody, and what I say to people all the time is, I don't think I know a person out there who looks forward to getting loans. Um, so just don't make the transaction any more stressful than it needs to be. Um, so what's the next one? The other one, and honestly, this is a real, this can be a real problem, um, is co-signing for other loans. Oof. So let me talk about this. Um, here's the issue, and I just went through this. If you co-sign for somebody else, um, in my, with me, we need 12 months payments. It doesn't matter if they live there 12 months. I really couldn't find anybody else to get around it. You're going to get hit with it. So if, if I go and co-sign for Mitch's house and I know I'm going to buy a home in six months, if I can't qualify for my payment and Mitch's payment, I'm in trouble. And I, as much as you're going to get pissed off, Mitch, like, oh, like you, this is like we always say is if you're going to do something in the next year, six months, and you know you're going to do financing, Call us, whoever, take the five minutes because that five-minute conversation could really change how you do things, how you structure them. If I co-sign a property with Mitch and it's a rental property and it has a rental agreement, that's a different story because I have income. But if Mitch is paying it, lives there, it doesn't matter. Oh, Mitch is paying. It doesn't matter. Maybe I need to do it and do a, you know, he needs to do a rental agreement or something. But that's what I said is most people are screwed and we only had we only had six months of payments. We had a double hit and we barely made it. it was- yeah, and I mean, I think the biggest thing, like Kenny said, is that if if you're thinking that you're going to get financing within the next six to 12 months, give us a call, whether it's a residential property or a commercial property, and really just be fully transparent about where you stand now, what you plan to do in the future in the way of financing and credit and all of those things, like anything that affects you financially. I mean, we have clients that have us look at their tax returns before they actually file. I mean, because they want to make sure that they're in a position to get financing every year. But that's called planning ahead. So we have those clients that do that. And then we have the people who come to us at the 11th hour and file their tax returns without saying anything or doing these things without telling you. And then they end up in a position where they either take a crappier deal or they can't even get financing at all. So these are the kinds of things that you want to plan out up front. Like any sort of financial decision that you make, you just have to get in the habit of knowing that this is a plan, not a, I did Reaction. this on a whim. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, the other thing is to remember when you co-sign for somebody, um, nobody really thinks of this, but in the financial crash, that other person was not able to make that payment or their house was underwater or um, they couldn't rent out to cover, you're liable for that and you just can't get your name off. So if you get dinged, if they miss a payment, it's dinging your score just like theirs. It, we've seen people co-sign and it's not pretty. Honestly, Somebody misses a payment. I'm not talking just mortgages. I'm talking cars, student loans, things like this. They could have a medical emergency, anything. So if you're co-signing with somebody, my rule um, for anybody is make sure that you have evidence they make the payment every month and make sure that you've notified the car, the student loan, the house payment. 
here's my email, here's my phone number, that if they don't make the payment after this time, you call me and you better hopefully be in a position where you can make it or you will get dinged. I mean, co-signing in general, I, I know this is a whole new topic, but I'm like, oh, co-signing I think is a scary thing because I, for one, it causes undue stress on you when that person can't make the payment. So the agreement that Kenny and I have made, and we, this is probably why we haven't co-signed for anybody on anything, is like, I have to be okay to pick up and make that payment if that person can't make it. And I can't, you know, bitch and complain about, about it because it was my decision to co-sign and I'm going to have to eat it. So for that reason, anytime it's come up to us, we just haven't done it because we don't want to be in that position. I, I personally don't think, you know, in my mind, I'm like, I can't be mad at the person that I co-signed for because I signed up for this. So if you don't want to be in a position sure though, to right? I mean, about that, if then, you can't cover the payment, you yeah. should never. Like, you should never yeah. co-sign, yeah. And like Mitch always says, it's the saying is, is uh, what did Mitch? Uh, it's like if, my folks said. It said, you know, don't lend money to friends or family. Like, consider it a gift. If you get paid back, great. If not, don't let it ruin your relationship. Because so, that has always been our philosophy. And words to live by. We're in lending, yeah. and we see it and hear it all because we got to hear about what happened to this and that. And trust me. It's you know, partnerships, relationships, all kinds every of stuff. Every story has gone you think that will from, never happen, we've seen it happen. Borrowed money or yep. co signing. Yeah. Um, the other thing I got here is um, if you're in, if you're going to go in the middle of transaction or you're doing something, if you're in the middle, whether it's commercial or residential, that's not the time to start changing bank accounts and changing banks. Just wait till you either do it before the transaction, get everything over after. The reason why, even if you do it before, is we would have to see proof that the money went from this bank to this bank. So you can do it before, after, before, but it's extra paperwork that we're gonna like, like just like Mitch says, if something goes in, they have to trace it, they got to track it. It's the same as if you wire money from B of A to Chase and you change it. It's all got to be traceable. And again, loans are not a fun activity. No, they're not. They cause stress for a lot of people. Um, it's not a fun part of any business is getting loans so just don't make it any more stressful than it already is or any more difficult than it already is because believe me especially with residential underwriting sometimes I see the conditions that come back for Kenny's deals and I'm like thank god I don't do residential because this is crazy so if you if you like paperwork and you want to send us 37 (laughs) more pages than we need go for it but you know it's if you want it to be nice and smooth just avoid yes making significant changes um, a couple more. Do not. We, we're saying don't close any credit accounts. So what a lot of people do is they've had a credit card for five years, ten years, twenty years, and they'll do a refi. They'll pay it off. Like I'm going to close my credit because I'm going to go. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a minute. You have twenty years of credit history. Five years, ten years. Or they're like I'm going to cancel this card and go get this one where it's zero APR, no payments or whatever. Guys, that's your credit. That's your history. So when you close stuff or get rid of stuff. Um, like Crystal said, the person that gets the card and, you know, gets it and cancel and this, I mean, to save money, look at the end of the day, you're not doing yourself any favor with credit. Like you're just ding your score, ding your score. And it's, it's, it's going to just, it doesn't help you. you yeah. Know? The, the caveat to that is if it's, you know, a credit card that's got a high annual fee and you're not using it, um, you know, that look at how long the history is on there. If it, yeah, there are, there are some circumstances where it makes sense, but it may be the vast majority, if you've, if you've had it for 20 years, you can afford that annual premium. Just keep it open. Leave it at a zero balance. Or it, call it them and try to negotiate it off. Say, I've been here 20 years. A lot of times you make a call, they'll yeah. just adjust it or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I have. I think I have my first credit card that I ever, ever got. It was like a student Visa card with Bank of America. And I still have it. I really don't use it that often. Um, but I still have it because it helps my score. I've had it for, 
I don't know, at least yeah, long, 20 years now. Credit. It's been like, yeah, at least 20 years. So it's one of those things that I, it's not really a card I use. It's not really something I need, but I keep it and I use it once in a while because I know it's giving me that history, that 20 years history. So um, I do use it occasionally on that basis because the other thing is if you have credit cards that you don't use, sometimes they just close them for not due to non-use. So you want to use them every now and then to help your credit out as well. So um, again, it just comes down to everything with that when it comes to any sort of like financial anything, when it comes to your credit, getting loans, credit cards, any of that stuff, you just need to stop and think for a minute about the overall effect that it's going to have. It's not just opening or closing that credit card. It's how is this going to affect my credit? How would this affect financing if I'm looking for financing? Those are the kinds of things. And if you don't know the answer to that question or you're even slightly unsure, then call us because we can have a quick conversation with you about your scenario and let you know whether or not this is going to affect your score and how you should think about it before making a decision. Yeah, protect your credit like it's a bag of gold because it's as good as gold. It's it, it, it's it's very, very important now, especially with residential. A, a higher credit score to lower, you're going to see a fluctuation in rates um, pretty big time. The only person that won't is if you have a lot of money and you're a really high net worth individual and you're with a private bank and they can just kind of like wave the wand and forget about it. But that's very few and far between people we see. Um, I think regardless, though, even those people sometimes have um, challenges. So I just think whether it's to get a credit card or to open a bank account or to get a loan for your business or to get a loan on your home, whatever it is, regardless of how silly you may think credit actually is, Um, it does matter and it is important. And when, I hate to say this, but when you look at somebody's credit score, you almost are kind of judged based on your score by people who use it on a daily basis because it basically shows how responsible or irresponsible you are. So when you're doing things with your credit, you have to think of it from that perspective. It really is kind of like a resume on how financially capable you are. Yeah, it's how you manage your debt. Keeping your, you know, try to keep your balances below 50%. The better is keeping below 30%. Um, so I'm going to go through a couple things too here. The other thing that I've commonly, I'm seeing a lot that are killing deals is if you are in real estate, you're a real estate investor, go get a business credit card, quit racking up your personal credit cards where it shows on your personal account. And then it, it, it you rack it up and it really dings your credit. Um, go get, uh, go to the bank, go to your banker, get a business credit card where it doesn't show on your credit. It really can help offset your credit score. I see this a lot. The other thing is, if you buy a house and let your kids live in there and they don't pay you rent and you pay for them, um, yes, remember, we are going to hit you for that entire payment. And people go like, but they're living there and, and they're paying me. Well, that's again, is sometimes if they're paying you and you don't show the rental agreement and they're not paying the mortgage lien holder, it's a problem. Because sometimes like, well, they pay me one month this and it's cash. And it's this up and down. Look, if it's not consistent, if there's no rental agreement, if you're not putting on your tax returns, a lot of lenders are like, cool, it's not income. You didn't report it. We're not going to count it. Basically, unless you're treating your child like a tenant and it's a business contract, which, by the way, wouldn't really hurt in helping your kids to be you know, responsible, but that's a choice. So it, you've got to treat them as a tenant. And if you're not, if you're allowing things to slip or slide um, then that can really hurt you because yeah. in underwriting, we're always looking for consistency. There's ways to do that the right way too. So if you're going to have your kids live in a house and they're going to pay you sometimes, they're not going to pay some, open an account in their name. Have the mortgage paid out of that. If you yep. have to deposit money in that, great. But then you can show that that liability is their responsibility. There you go. 
or get a or get a rental agreement and show the gross rent on your things and you know there you go and then do the expenses. So, but that's a really good example of why that's, that's somebody should just call before they're going to do something like that because you are maybe going to be nonchalant about it and think like, oh, it's no big deal. But then when you go to get a loan, it's a problem. Call us ahead of time and say, hey, Kenny, hey, Crystal, hey, Mitch, this is what I've got. I bought my kids a house. This is how we want to do it. This is how it works. This is what we're thinking. And he can give alternative solutions like that to you that could really help you and save you in the end from being denied on a loan. And maybe you make enough income and it will go, you're fine. You make enough income. Some people we work with, it's not a problem. No problem. But check. Um, you want to check and make sure because you just don't want to shoot yourself in the foot because you made a kind of like knee-jerk reaction decision without thinking about the, the potential consequences. The other thing, if you're a parent, you co-sign for student loans and your kid has 250000 and you're making the payment or they don't have 12 months, we're going to whack you with the payment. Um, another big thing that we're going to jump into right now, and you guys are going to be diving a lot into this, is let's talk about the business person. Um you have an S corp, you've got a business and you want to basically plow a bunch of expenses through there. And you're like, but no, but we can look, but no, this is all personal. Look guys, there's gross income, there's expenses, and then there's a net income. We can add back depreciation, amortization, or if you have a pension profit sharing plan and you're hundred percent owner and it really works out, we can add that back. Most people never have the pension profit sharing. They might have some amortization. It's depreciation. Yes, you might have a W-2 income on top, but you got to remember, if you're writing off all this personal stuff and you go, no, 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 but it's this and that, underwriters don't do, I no, 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 this or that on business income. I look right off the net income. I can add back that. That's it. So basically what you're saying is they're going to get double hit. So, for example, if they pay their car payment through their business um, or they pay even personal no, credit card car. payments through business, nope, that's, so no. they won't get double hit. The Things on your credit, if I have 12 months checks, I'm talking about where people are writing off, I went to travel or I remodeled oh, this okay. or did so that. So it can hurt you because you're writing off everything in your business. Your business isn't looking as profitable because you really are writing off like personal expenses, not necessarily Meals, entertainment, travel, like clothes. Whatever it is, look, I get it. Meals entertainment also gets doubled when we uh, hit it because you can only write off 50%. Exactly. So whatever that number is, we double it, take that off of uh, the adjusted gross too. So what I'm telling you is a lot of people, I get it. You're, you're of your business. You want to go lean and mean. You want to get that number down. That's great. But when it comes to qualifying for a loan, if it's not in your credit report, so if it's a liability, a business line of credit, a car, credit card, you have 12 months canceled checks, we can omit the payments. But if it's other stuff, like Mitch said, food, entertainment, travel, and all this stuff, there's no, like, it doesn't matter. Oh, well, that was this, and it doesn't matter. It is what it is. And another thing on that, too, because I feel like one of the things we're seeing a lot with clients is they do silly things because they think that they need to in order to save money on taxes. Mm -hmm. So... My biggest piece of advice is to call your CPA before you're thinking of doing these things because a lot of times when you think you need to write off these expenses, there might be another way that you can minimize your tax legally without basically making your income look a lot lower because you're writing off personal expenses. So if you own a corporation or you own real estate, you're a real estate investor, you don't necessarily need to be writing off all those things. There's a potential that you could actually claim all of this income and not pay tax. You could. So these are the kinds of things that you need to have 
discussions with your CPA about. And if maybe you don't have the right CPA, you need to get connected to the kind of person who specializes in you know, a specific business that you own or specializes in working with real estate investors because that was one of the biggest lessons that we've even learned this year is that if you have the right CPA, they can guide you to pay minimal to no tax for us at least as real estate investors. Um, and we don't have to go through all of It just of depends these. on what it is. Yeah. We don't have to try and like nickel and dime our business and write off personal expenses because we already have vehicles and tools that we can legally use to not pay tax or to minimize our tax. Yep. So yep. that's just a conversation because I see clients do this all the time. Um, and you see it as well where they're not maybe not claiming all their income somehow or they're writing off too many expenses. It's like, guys, we don't have to do this. Like, you don't have to put yourself in trouble, whether it's financing or the IRS or whomever. Just talk to your financial advisors, your financial professionals in your life, uh, whether it's your loan officer and your C- – a lot of times it's a conversation with your loan officer, your CPA, and your attorney. I mean, or your loan officer and your CPA or your loan officer and CPA might need to talk in order to go through this stuff. But you need to get the dialogue going because if you don't, then you're just going to be making decisions as an unexperienced person. It's like you know, trying to diagnose yourself with a medical issue. Like, no, you go to a doctor. So when you have an issue like this or you're thinking of something, doing something financial, talk to your CPA, talk to your loan officer, talk to people who do this every day and who can guide you through it and know the laws and the rules and how it's going to affect you. You brought up a good point there uh, about how to – Brings how to kill deals for multifamily is not claiming all your income. You know, if you if you've got a tenant that pays you cash, if you've got laundry income, claim it. Like when we're going to do the financing, we're going to be looking at the tax returns for, you know, what does this property really bring in? Your if your gross income doesn't match what your rent roll is um, on your returns, lenders are going to look at the lower of. So, and we've seen this, and it's a lot of times like these mom pops that think that they're like avoiding taxes because they're getting cash payments. I mean, for one, that's like a major no-no. And for two, it's going to cause problems with your financing. But the third thing, like I said, you really don't need to be doing this. If you're a real estate investor, you already have legal tools that allow you to not pay taxes. You just need to get a better CPA or have a conversation with your CPA because my experience, a lot of these CPAs just wait for you to come up with ideas, which is odd. And I think not totally right but this is the situation that you're in your cpa just does taxes and then moves on to the next thing he doesn't advise you unless you ask him so you need to say hey you know cpa how can i not pay taxes this year what can i do so i'm going to claim all this income maybe you could accelerate depreciation maybe you are not labeled as an active real estate investor and you should be maybe you know there's all these there's a lot of different ways and i'm no cpa so i can't give you these answers but you need to talk to your cpa about this stuff because there is no reason any real estate investor should even be paying taxes to begin with. So why you wouldn't claim all your income is just silly. I mean, that's just not being informed. Yeah, long and short, claim claim your income. Well, you it, could it pay tax, but like Crystal said, you know, do research, do homework. There's books, there's podcasts, there's plenty of information out there. And if you're just being lazy about it then and you want to do this, that's fine. But when you get audited... You're going to have to go through all these expenses. And if they're not really, you know, if they're not really viable expenses and they shouldn't have been off, you're just going to end up getting hit in the long term and you're going to have penalties. So it's going to be uglier. So that was the other thing I was going to say is um, real estate investors, which we deal with a lot at the property level, where you're, whether it's on your Schedule E or on your, your filing LLC return, 
you know, a lot of people, like Mitch says, they're not putting all the income on there for some reason. And look, if your CPA is okay with that, that's crazy. If you're actually having the conversation, because um, remember, it's very easy to track a lease, a rent roll, and leases. Like, like it's very easy to track down what you really pay. So if you get audited, you're gonna probably they're they're not stupid. So if you it's a thousand dollars a month and you claim five hundred, they can just easily look like it's not that hard. The other thing is is a lot of people are making up expenses on their schedule E on their property. They literally like own three or four, like, well, I don't want to pay tax once again. And they show a loss. I'm like, you're not an active real estate investor. You're showing a loss. You get no benefit from it because you don't. You can't use it. But now you can't qualify our loan. So you listen to your CPA who doesn't do loans and now you can't qualify our home. And now you're pissed off at the world because you didn't get it. First of all, if you showed zero there's no gain, there's no loss. So last time I checked on zero income, you pay zero tax, right? Yeah. So if you have a loss because you made up some stuff because it never exists or you never paid, you just shot yourself. So we see this all the time, guys. Here's the thing is people literally put they'll put the same loss on every property. Like, yeah, repairs are the same. Really? You have the $5,900 on every property? Well, that's interesting. So our point is if you have losses and they're actually viable losses and you have them, and you're like, man, this is going to really hurt me. That's where you call us. That's where you call your CPA and go, hey, is there a way I can amortize this, appreciate it? Mitch and Crystal, a lot of times they're with their stuff, you can actually add back because it's a one-time loss. With me, it's tougher. But that's why you can move in other places or you could do different things about it. So, And again, that's another reason why you have a conversation with your CPA and us because you, your CPA is trying to help you out with taxes. We're trying to help you out with financing. These are two different goals that you need to accomplish. So you need to find the right balance between what to claim on your taxes and what you can write off and what you shouldn't in order to achieve both. And also how you label it on your tax return too because if you know, depending on where you're putting it, you have the statement column where it lists out expenses. You could list out like, oh, one time this, be very detailed. So an underwriter sees it's easier for us than having to dive in to wonder what, what the heck this is. But once again, guys, when you're trying to get loans and you have all this stuff, it's great when you pay no tax and all this. But when it comes to getting loans and you can't qualify and you could have just made five or $10,000 more and it would have been literally, you would still would have had zero tax consequence because of other stuff. You just, now you're screwed and you have to wait till the next year and you know, you're not going to probably amend your tax returns because that's another red flag too. So kind of from my standpoint, we went through a lot of things that kill deals and things like that. And obviously, you know, there could be the bad credit or, you know, delinquency on your credit report, which could be both for us or bankruptcies or foreclosures. But when it comes to financials and income and documentation, um, that's like a big stuff we're really seeing, which a lot of people aren't paying attention to. So when you file your returns, you should be reviewing them. If you think you're going to do any financing in the next year of that tax season or even the next year, because we're going to look at two years possibly, you should really have a conversation, like Crystal said, with your lender, with your CPA. Make sure we're on the same page. And then that way, when you go to get a loan, you're not stressed about it. And look, I guarantee you a lot of times you could still end up at the same tax benefit, but just but doing a little bit more legwork and talking to the right people. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it really all comes down to planning. So it's just one of those things that I think as we get older, I've definitely for me, I've gotten in the habit of planning everything. Um, so this is just one of those things that, again, you plan because you don't want any surprises like money problems or 
financial issues are one of the biggest stressors that people deal with. So the way to not have that stress is to kind of deal with it head on and to plan. I know for a long time, um, and I think I used to be this way, like I I never wanted to look at my bank account because I don't know why. I just had this weird thing. I was like, oh, I don't want to look at it. It just kind of seems scary to me. But what's scarier is going into trying to get a loan, trying to buy a house, trying to buy a property. You don't know anything about your situation. Yeah, without being sure. And the other reason why you want to have a plan, too, is that if you're buying a property, especially, <laughs> you need to put your best foot forward. We're in a market and an economy where there it's, it's pretty competitive out there and things are getting tighter. So a lot of agents are not even going to look at your offer without a pre-approval and without having, you know, been vetted by a lender, um, having had your whole financial picture looked at. So you, you're going to have to be prepared anyways, and that's going to be the best way for you to even get an offer accepted um so planning is really key i mean we have clients the smart clients that we have actually start talking to us before they're even looking it's like when they first think about that like we're gonna start looking okay we're gonna get our financing in order because without a loan we can't buy a property and it's way more stressful financing is probably one of the toughest parts of buying a buying a deal and you could be you could be prepared for it and it makes it a whole lot easier so, Mitch, what's some stuff on your guys' end that's pretty boilerplate that's killing deals right now? Yeah, the I guess the the most uh, recent thing that we've seen come up is property condition. Um, not you know necessarily even property condition, but like curb appeal. Like you drive by and there's trash out front. There's graffiti on it. There's you know loose boards. There's little minor stuff that you could take care of pretty easily. That you know the the lender the underwriter drives by they see that they're like yeah we're he didn't, he's not taking care of his property it's not really an asset we want on the books so and that's that's one you. thing that we've seen that's you know fairly fairly recent they're getting a little more picky on you know the the type of the type of assets that they're lending to now we're that means though that we're trying to get you the best financing out there it doesn't mean that we can't take you to some other subpar lender and get you a higher <laughs> yeah. rate that doesn't really care about this stuff that's possible but again part of your financial planning and being financially astute is like basically trying to get the best financing why would you settle when you could just spend a few bucks to spruce up your property and make it look clean and presentable which it probably should have been anyway um but if you can spend a little bit of time doing that in order to make it look nice. And honestly, we recently had a situation where Mitch walked the property with a client and said, hey, before the appraiser comes out, we need these things done. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'll get it done. I'll get it done. And lo and behold, we show up at the appraiser. Mitch appraiser, shows up. Yeah, I, we go there. Stuff's not done. Uh, appraisal gets turned in in fair condition. Lender denies it because it was, you know, it, less than average. Um, there's fair, average, and good, and it was less than average, and they said, we don't want this on our books. So, yeah, we, we did get the loan done for about a point higher on the rate. and ha- you know, After about, he did the work? Yeah, after he did the work, about a point higher on the rate and, you know, $5,000 more in fees. And, you know, it was like two days' worth of work that he had his maintenance guy take care of. Just simple stuff. Um, you know, take care of little things that, that you know need to be taken care of and – it goes a lot smoother. And also, too, on the commercial side, why, if you're like, why do they care? Why is it such a big deal? Is because in a down market, banks go back to what happened in the last down market. But we all know in a down market, you know, if you have a dilapidated building or whatever, 
they're in competition of rent gets tougher or rents go down, like people are looking around or people are moving from A to B or B to C buildings, like they're not going to be looking at yours first. They're going to be looking at somebody else in a B area that has the nicer fix up. So your property could suffer more from value wise and rent wise. And so lenders do, they do know that like they're not. Yeah. That, is, I mean, also if they, if they have to lenders look at stuff as worst case, if they have to take the property back, like headache for them. is there health and safety issues they're going to have to address? Is there, you know, tenant, tenant complaints that haven't been addressed that the lender is not now as the owner has to address. So this is all stuff that they're taking into consideration as, you know, if I had to own this property, would this be something that I would, you know, be comfortable with? But if you think about it, I mean, it makes total sense because (coughs) this is their collateral. Who wants to have shitty collateral? You know, like nobody wants a crappy looking property. And to that point is every lender is federally required to audit their files like they basically get audited every year which is why you have to turn in your annual financials every year they want your current personal financial statement they want your current tax return they want a current rent roll on the property and a year-to-date P&L um, along with the prior year's year-end P&L they look at this and they actually rerun the debt service and some lenders are more strict than others but they also um, periodically do drive the properties they might not do it every year but they do drive the properties and they will make comments if you're letting the property go so if for example they drive the property and you ran out of money and you're not taking care of the curb appeal they will drive that property eventually and say something to you and they could require it so there is verbiage in the loan documents about how the property is to be maintained what sort of documentation you're required to provide on an annual basis and there is no getting out of that is a federal requirement every federally regulated institution is required to provide this information and they are audited on an annual basis about this stuff so you got to keep up your properties and it's not really a one and done it's like if you want to be a a real estate investor you got to play the game right yeah and it's it's not only lenders but insurance companies are driving the properties too and yeah you may get a letter from the insurance that says you need to fix this stuff in the next week or you're denied coverage. I mean, you're left with a building that's uninsured. Lender puts force place coverage on it, which is really usually expensive. two to three times the cost of your normal insurance. And you know, you're, that's that's an uphill battle to get that too. taken off. And it's it's flagged. So, you know, that's just it's one of those things. That if you just take care of the little things, big problems don't arise. What else, Mitch? Um, you know, the we we don't collect your tax returns, bank statements, everything up front to get a letter of interest. We look at a personal financial statement. So, you know, just make sure that's complete. That's, you know, got an accurate, honest picture of your of your financial position. Uh, if you owe 500000 on your house, don't write down that you owe 300000 We'll pull your credit eventually, but yeah, we're, we're going off of what you present to us for the qualification. If you've got seventy grand in your bank, don't put you have two hundred and fifty thousand. You know, liquidity is one of the requirements. Uh, we either need you know six months of payments or five to ten percent of the loan amount. Every lender's kind of got a different requirement. There's ways around that. If we're pulling significant cash out, they can count that towards your post close liquidity. But you know, the more accurate picture you give us up front, the more we can, accurately we can present that to the lender and have less you know, headache trying to answer questions. And strategize with you. So again, if you're a little short on your liquidity, which it happens, we had a client even recently that had just bought a house and he needed to refinance his apartment building. And of course they spent money on the down payment to buy the house. They bought furniture. They had just moved back from out of the country. So their liquidity wasn't great. 
Um, and it was one of those things that they're very upfront with us and we're able to strategize and make sure that we present it in a way that allows them to get the financing and we're about ready to close on that deal and it's fine. I mean, it flew right through underwriting, but if they hadn't have been upfront about it, no lender likes when you say you have $250,000 in the bank and then it turns out you have 70. You just like, it, it doesn't give anybody a good taste for the deal, it feels dishonest. And they start diving um, in the more. And they start nitpicking. So they kind of say, is this really this, the kind of borrower that we want to lend to is somebody who's not being upfront with us? So it also comes down to that, is that you're, if you're honest with us, we can help you strategize and make sure that we get the deal done or we can tell you the steps that you need to make in order to get there. So we've done that with a lot of clients before. Um, we've walked them through, you know, hey, I'm not getting to the loan amount I want. Okay, well, let me look at your rents. Maybe if you ra- raise rents 50 bucks across the board, we can get you to that amount. Or maybe if you can get these couple of expenses down, I mean, we'll help you out and give you guidance on what you need to do in order to achieve your goals. But you have to be just really transparent and upfront about where you stand. Yeah, and, and if you were uh, you know, clear on what your goals are, what your needs are, um, you know, we can look at the whole the whole picture. Uh, as far as you know, down to expenses, we can look at you know your utility bills and see where you can save on that. Say you know if you try to get to a certain loan amount and you're falling short, you know where can we make up make up for this? So by the time it is submitted, these these questions or concerns are already addressed. Yep. Uh, so when it does go in front of the underwriter, they've got a you know a checklist that. They're going through checking these boxes and everything's accounted for. It goes through. There's not questions. There's not, you know, last minute trading or rate, you know, rate adjustments for, um, you know, something that could have been taken care of. There's not, you know, loan cuts because expenses are higher um, when we can accurately present what they should be. Anything else that's kind of you guys are seeing these days that are causing deal problems or. That's that's really it. Um, no, I think the, the few that we've seen, but a lot of the you know the same things with same residential. Um, we're not as strict on it, but you know, plan ahead. Don't make drastic changes. Protect your credit. Um, take care of your property. Claim your income. Plan ahead. That's that'll that'll make the process a lot easier. Communicate with your team, with your CPA, with your lender, whoever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, be on the same page. If you're always doing finance financing then you should um you know then you should basically be aware of your financial situation all the time and you know a lot of people are very active um with financing and they watch and monitor stuff they listen and they listen and learn and they just go cool i need this much in the bank i need this i need that and their credit and they monitor it and they don't have any problems and when they show income um they know if something was off that year or this or that they'll call and go hey this happened how do we deal with this and you know, you have a conversation with them, the CPA, and, you know, you can work it out. It's just it's just being communication, being proactive. And we do the same thing with our, finance, our finances. I mean, we're late filers, so we just kind of filed our corporate tax returns. And Kenny and I sat down and looked at our drafts before we filed the returns and made sure that we were okay with the way that our finances were looking. Like, hey, we're planning on buying properties and selling some properties this year. So – or the, in 2020. So – how do our finance our financials look if we need to go get a loan next year? Yeah, so we had look, me at look at them as well, just to yeah. you know kind of double check, make sure there wasn't anything else glaring. So you know it doesn't hurt to have a second set of eyes to to review those. Um, you know CPAs are are usually great; they usually are pretty spot on. But there are times where there's mistakes made. So we catch you know, them again, a lot. Like I catch plan, a lot of mistakes. Plan ahead, take that extra step just to to make sure what's you know 
what you're doing is the right direction. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times we've actually had clients where I look at their tax returns and I go like, oh, this expense looks really big. What was that? And they're like, wow, I didn't, I didn't – I don't even know what that number is. That might be a mistake. I, I don't I don't know what that is. So I think a lot of people are just letting their CPAs file the returns. And as long as they don't have to pay tax or it's like right around the number of tax that they thought it would be, they kind of just sign the return and let it be done. But you want to review that information. And again, you want to review it with your team. Your lender is your team, your CPA. You know, you basically want to review that with people and make sure that you're going to be okay and you're going to be able to get financing um, in the coming year or months. Yeah, so. we're we're all human. I mean, it's easy to make mistakes. The, the six and nine are right next to each other on the keyboard. So, yep. you know, your your sixty thousand dollar expense can be ninety thousand real quick on on an accident. So happens all the time. That's you know, that's one of the things. Just the extra set of eyes helps um, helps a lot. Um, you know, look at your property, see how you can lower your expenses without, you know, big write-offs, um, you know, you increase your income enough that, you know, be happy to pay taxes because you're, you're making enough money. So. Yeah. Or like I said, if you're a real estate investor, there's plenty of ways that you can legally avoid paying taxes. Yeah. So. So to wrap up, monitor, pay your bills on time, credit's important, income, claim your income, expenses, you can have them, um, make sure that you're not adding extra expenses, or if you're going to get financing, make sure you understand that if you have a huge expense that you realize that could, that could basically put you out of the ballpark of getting a loan um, or maybe not depending on how we would look at it. And the other thing is, is just, I would say have, make sure you have people on your, on your team like us, you can call and um, get, get feedback quickly to make sure that you put yourself in, you know, a winning position when it comes to buying real estate or refinancing or whatever you do. Cause if you do buy real estate and you're in it full time and you're not financeable, that's kind of like having a business where basically it's not open and it's a retail store and you're just not open for business and can't get customers. Cause if you can't be financeable and you need to be, it can cause a lot of problems. Well said. Yeah. So yeah, plan ahead. That's the, I think that's the takeaway. Plan ahead. Don't shoot yourself in the foot. There's, there's ways to make stuff work. Well, thanks guys so much for listening in on this podcast. And as one of our listeners recommended today, if you guys want to talk to us about anything that we've discussed today, or if you're listening, you listen to another podcast or something just popped in your mind, out of this conversation that you just heard uh, with us, then you can always reach out to us directly. Um, the best way to reach me, it's probably easier to just go to my website and click the contact me form because my name is not the easiest. So if you just go to PacificShoreCapital.com, you can get to Mitch or I. Um, you can always call me direct at 858-344-1146. And Kenny, if they want to reach you, how would they get in touch? You could type my name into Google, Kenny Simpson, San Diego. I'm sure I'd pop up. If not, 619-302-2020. Call me, text me. And we have been getting a lot of people reach out with um, the podcast and through Instagram and all my crazy videos that Monty helps me put out. And you know, at the end of the day, guys, we are putting this information out as much as um, it's great for us. But we, we're putting this out because 
we have experience, we go through things and we're trying to educate you on this is what we do all day, every day. And a lot of people are starting to listen and they realize this does help them. So if we can help you reach out, it's a phone call. You can come in for a meeting. It's never a waste of our time and you never have a stupid question. Yeah, we've got videos on uh, YouTube also for Pacific Shore Capital. And if there's any questions you guys have, any videos you want to see, leave some comments and we'll put something up. Yeah. Otherwise, you can always uh, DM us at Value Add or comment or email questions there. We'll always get back. We're located in Mission Valley in San Diego. So come on by. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.